There they go. There goes the church. Not the church of the future, the church now. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. So let's go ahead and open up in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day, and we just pray that your presence would be made known among us. God, right now, I, I, I thank you for everyone here that's in the room, and I pray that our hearts will be drawn towards you and drawn towards your presence, God. That we desperately seek to be in your presence, because we know that when we are near you, everything becomes clear. So again, Father, draw us in, get us closer, so that we may see you better. In your name, amen. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you. You guys having a good summer, good vacation time? Has anybody had a chance to take vacation? Vacation people? All right. Have you got, you got to do fun stuff? Anybody do anything fun this summer? Disney, Disneyland? We're going to talk about Disneyland. Um, I, I've, had, I've had opportunities to do some fun things. So I, I went to a went to a concert at the Hollywood Palladium uh, a couple days ago, which is a big deal because I haven't been to a, a concert in a long time. So it was really fun for me to just kind of uh, get, I don't want to say get back into a secular environment, but to just enjoy good music that, I mean, it's, it wasn't a Christian band, I know. And, it, and they, they even served beer there. But I, it, I, but it was, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was, it was a kind of a bluesy rock, southern rock band, and, and they were really good. I just really enjoyed it. Uh, even when the guy behind me sp- spilt beer down my back, it was just a <laughs> great experience. Um, you know, were, uh, and of course, of, you know, it was standing room only, so there were no, there were no chairs. And so, of course, um, the biggest guy in Southern California was standing right in front of me. Uh, drunk and annoying, the most annoying biggest guy in Southern California. And um, I'm not as tall as I look. And so I just, um, so it was kind of difficult. It didn't help that he had a big giant hat on. But anyway, I had a great time, and it was good just to be among people. And, and I'm not a big fan of crowds, but even for that moment, it was cool to be in a big giant crowd. And we had one thing in common. Well, I, we had the band in common. Other people had alcohol in common. But for the most part, it was just, it was just enjoy music. And did you know, when you become a Christian, uh, God's not going to, like, take art away from you. He wants you to enjoy the good things in life. So he's not out to make you miserable and not, okay, now that you're a Christian, you can't enjoy good music anymore. Okay, maybe a couple of those other bands you need to get rid of. But, you know, he wants us to enjoy life to the full. He's not out to make you miserable. He, he is out to um, fine-tune you and maybe surgically remove some of those things that don't belong there. Don't get me wrong there. He's out to get those things out of your life that don't belong there. But he's, he's not gonna, he doesn't want to just take the things that you enjoy. He's, that's not the kind of God we serve. He's a good God. So I got to you know, be a part of a, I, I don't know if I want to say corporate gathering or concert, you know, a, a, a gathering of people. And so that was fun. That was one of them. And the other one was Disneyland. And if you've been around, you know how I feel about Disneyland. I don't like the place. And it's just two giant parks crammed full of people. Uh, and, 
and most of them really annoying people. And they don't even have alcohol at Disneyland. And it's just like, oh my gosh. And it's it crowded. And um, we went through the Roger Rabbit ride, which took an hour and a half just to get to the silly little ride that, that I did years ago. It's like, I'm doing this again. I've been there, done that. Why do I have to do this again? And uh, this is really creepy waiting room area that you have to go through. And then, of course, the most annoying family in Southern California. It must have been related to the guy at the concert because they were right behind me. And I, I mean, I don't know what it is, but these kids thought it would be fun to punch me all hour and a half. Let's punch this guy in the stomach. And do the parents notice? Do the parents care? No. It's like their kids are invisible. It's like discipline your child. You know, that was my social bubble. Get, dis, <laughs> stop sweating on me. This is not fun. And um, so, it, 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 okay, this is my attitude. I mean, I know, I'm a bad person. My, my wife's not here today, so that, but this is why I get to rant about Disneyland. And my kid's upstairs. She doesn't hear this. So that, um, you know, and then it's the money, too. It's so expensive. You know, uh, I took, my, I took my, my daughter loves magic, so I took her into the magic shop. And the guy there was like, hey, can you show my daughter a magic trick? He's like, hey, I'm going to show you a magic trick. I'm going to make your money disappear. I mean, okay, he didn't say that, but I could see it in his eyes. I could see it in his eyes. He's like, you sucker. He says, I got you. And sure enough, he, he got me. I had 30 bucks later. It's like, what? So, yeah, and so I just, it, it, you, know why, you know why Mickey Mouse has these big giant gloves on? Because he's a pickpocket. <laughs> so they have to keep him from taking your wallet while you're there. And uh, I know, I, I'm, I'm going to, I know, I'm becoming a grumpy old man, aren't I? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn green and steal your Christmas presents. And, but it's just like, oh, gosh. And it's just, oh, I just, I just, I just, I got to get out of here. There's just too many people. It's claustrophobic. And, um, and why am I experiencing, okay, okay, we do the little rides, but all these people, I don't know these people. You know, at the concert, I don't know these people. We're sharing a common experience together. And Mako did make friends with the drunk guy in front of me. But, you know, I wanted to, you know, anyway, anyways. But, but we don't have anything in common, right? Even at the happiest place on earth, let's, 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 you know, I don't know these people. You know, we're experiencing Mickey Mouse together and... Um, but, I, you know, this is, this is, I guess we're just, you know, we're, having, we're, we're doing a theme park, right? And so what I've, what I've learned, and what, what kind of hit me, it actually ties into the message, believe it or not, is that um, we can have a common experience. I can go to a concert and experience the concert. I can go to Disneyland and experience, Dis, you know, experience Scrooge McDuck taking my money. You, you know, that, like he, Scrooge McDuck is the CFO of Disney, He's the one that came up with the idea of putting the gift shops at the end of the rides and funnel you through so they can take even more money from you. Anyway, I'm just bitter. I'm so bitter. But church can be a lot like that, right? We can, we can go to church and have a common experience, but just like Disneyland, like the people in front of you at a concert, you don't know who they are. And that's not how... That's not how church was made. That's not how it was supposed to be. Fun- That's not how it's supposed to function. 
It's supposed to function, uh, again, as a family unit, as an organic substance. You ought to know the people sitting next to you. There's a difference between uh, a gathering of people and a congregation. A congregation knows each other. They pray for each other. They're engaged with each other. Uh, that doesn't happen anywhere else, and we're going to take a look at that in detail. Uh, if you want to get your Bibles out, we're going to be looking today probably just at one Scripture verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Today's topic, today's sermon title is, uh, is Hope and Friends. You know, we can do all these social things. You can go to Disneyland, you can go to a concert, you can go to church, and you could still be alone in a crowd. And that's not what church is meant to be. And so that's kind of what we're going after and uh, we're going to read this verse, and I'll explain why. I'll explain the difference. Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, we're going to look at that word today, since we have confidence to enter into the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. All right, so what's he saying? Usually when preachers like myself do this one, we'll focus on, let us not give up the meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. So usually when you hear this verse, that's a that's pastor saying, you guys need to come to church, and you need to, you need to fill some pews. And uh, there's truth to that, but there's more to it. There's more to it, because uh, just because you're filling the pews, it doesn't mean that you're going to church. And he's making that very clear here as we get into it. You see, uh, when we have a problem, and you know what, I know something about you guys. You guys, you, guys, you guys have a problem. You guys have all got a major problem. Uh, we all do. We, uh, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with this all. There's not a single person in the room that is not dealing with something, that's not struggling with something, that's not experiencing pain, isolation, loneliness, helplessness, hopelessness. 
We all have these experiences, and there's a solution to it. There's an answer to it. We just read it. But the answer is being in the presence of God. That is where your hope lies, is being in the presence of God. All the other things that we can do to improve our lives, the self-help books, the, the sermons, the, the lessons, uh, they're, they're, all, they're all good. But if you want to boil it all down, the answer to your problems is being in the presence of God, to being in that holy place. Because when I am there, when I experience the holy of holies, when I have access to God, Everything about me that needs work is going to rise to the surface. If I am selfish, if I'm dealing with selfishness, I get around the presence of God. That's going to rise to the top, and I'll be able to see it. God will highlight it. He'll point it out, and I'll be able to deal with it. If I'm dealing with, with lust, and if I'm dealing with greed, and I get around the presence of God, he's going to bring those things up to the front. And the Holy Spirit is going to guide me and counsel me, bring the right people into my life to help me overcome the issues that I'm dealing with. So you really, you really have to go from the inside out to truly solve the problems in your heart and not just put a Band-Aid on your circumstances. That's what, he's, that's what we got to go after. See, we have access direct access to the presence of God, to the Holy Spirit. And it is unique to the Christian faith. It is special to us. And it wasn't even around before Jesus was around. There was only one person that had access to the presence of God. It was the high priest, and he could only access the presence of God once a year on Yom Kippur. And then Jesus came, and he says, you know what? I'm, I'm the curtain. I'm splitting this thing. And because I have sprinkled you with my blood, because I have washed you with pure water, now when you worship, you can do what the high priest did, and you can access the presence of God. And there is great hope in that. There's incredible hope in that. In order for us to see that hope, we have to see Jesus. We have to understand the atonement, the sacrifice, what he did. We have, to, we have to acknowledge that he is God, that he is the manifestation and the presence of heaven on earth. He is kingdom here and now. We have to see it. If you don't see who Jesus is and what he did, if you can't see heaven on earth, then, then you are in a state of hopelessness. In Matthew, Jesus goes after the Pharisees, and he goes after the jugular. In verse after verse, he says, you Pharisees, you're hopeless. You're hopeless, you're hopeless, you're hopeless, you're hopeless. He says it like six or seven times. He's trying to make a point. The very folks that had all the answers, that knew more about God than anybody else on the planet, they had the manifestation, the very face of God standing in front of them, and they couldn't see him. And because they couldn't see him, they were in a hopeless state. Now, I'm going to assume that everybody in the room uh, were believers, that, that we've crossed that line of faith, that we said, look, I can't do this on my own. I can't get to heaven on my own work, so I'm going to accept the grace of Christ. 
and I know this to be true because it's my experience in my own life, that doesn't mean that we don't run up against hopelessness or a hopeless spirit. How do I know? Because I, I experienced hopelessness myself this week. It was a tough week. I'm going to be really honest and transparent. It's like I was recovering from Disneyland, and it was just a tough week. I did, I, you know, it's just my, my, my nerves were shot from sensory overload, and I had to, you know, so, yeah, there was that. But my, my wife had, had surgery, back surgery this week. It was a very difficult, you know, very difficult season. Uh, my grandmother is in hospice, and, you know, she could be with the Lord any moment. So that's weighing on me. And then, then bills are weighing on me, and then, you know, church bills are weighing on me. So there's all of these things that just, this, this breeds, like, this heaviness and this hopelessness. But here's the thing, here is the promise that Jesus gives to us, is that hope is a choice. And we have the opportunity to choose hope. It is, as believers, we don't have to live in that state. We have a way out. We can, we can as the Bible says, we can anchor our soul to hope your feelings, your emotions. It seems like it's way too much for you to bear. You have hope. And just as we have direct access, like the high priest does, to the presence of God, it, for most of us, it's a mystery. How do you access the access? Right? I know what you're thinking. Josh, you just told me that, that all the answers that are to my problem are just to get into the presence of, of God, and I don't know how to do it. Well, it does take faith. It does take courage. But what we're going to look today as we break apart the scripture that we just read, it also takes your friends. It takes church. Now, there's, there's an incredible stream of negativity against the church from our culture. People will say, I'm a spiritual person. I just don't like religion. And what they're really saying is, um, I want God, but I don't want church. I want to do God on my own terms. And as we take a look at this scripture in detail, you'll see that it doesn't work, that you can't have both, that you have to have both um, a committed relationship to the Lord on an individual level. You do need to have your, your personal time with God, your prayer time, your quiet time, but you also have to have the corporate church community organic setting where people will rub up against you, and it's key. All right, so let's take a look at a couple of the key words that I want to look at. Um, in verse 24, it says, uh, I want you to, uh, verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Now, what we know about, about the book of Hebrews is that we don't know who wrote it. Uh, it's, an, it's an anonymous author. Um, so it doesn't come out right out and say, I, Paul, you know, I'm writing, you know, this book, Hebrews, doesn't say that. So we don't really know who wrote it. A lot of scholars seem to think that it was Paul that wrote it. And this, is, this scripture is probably a good example of Paul's voice. So this very well could be Paul. I, I don't know. Uh, point is, 
If you find yourself in a Bible study in the future and you spend more time arguing who the author of Hebrews is, uh, you need to change Bible studies. Because it doesn't really matter. Because the author of the, of the book is not the point. What he's saying is the point. And what he's saying is extremely powerful. So it very well could be Paul. One reason why I think that it might be Paul, because one of the verses that we looked at a couple weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, is, uh, is you know, the faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love, right? Well, we see all three elements in this scripture that we're going to read, that we just read. We do see hope, and we do see unwavering uh, hope and, 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 and love and, and charity. We see it all there, all packaged together. That's why I think it might be Paul. But what we do see is him honing in on specifically on community, specifically on friendship and what it looks like. And the difference between going to a concert and going to Disneyland is that you have to consider everybody in the room on some level or another. He says, consider he says, don't just come to church and fill the pews because some people are, are, you know, are flaking off and not showing up to church. He's not after attendance. He's after growth. He says, I want you to consider those sitting around you. And what, do, what, do, what does that mean? That means if you have friends in church, you need to, and if you are actually doing church and not attending church, you will know the condition of the person sitting next to you. You will know the condition of your friends in church. You will know what's going on in their life. And if you're doing things right, in your mind, you're going to be thinking to yourself, how can I help her be a better Christian? How can I help encourage her? How can I help spur her? What is going on in her life that I need to that I need to highlight for her? Can I be honest with her? God, what wisdom do I need? So basically, you need to be, this kind of sounds kind of weird, but you kind of need to be taking some mental notes on your friends in church. And I guarantee, if the Holy Spirit is working on you and working through you, He is going to be showing you things about the people that you love in this church. Ah, that's an incredible place to be. You've probably had this experience where, you, you, where God speaks to you about the person that you're sitting next to. He says, look, this person needs to be encouraged. Look, this person is, has got this issue, and you need to talk to him about it. It's, 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 a, it's being attentive to, to those that are around you and not walking in like it's Disneyland and you're just ignoring you know, not only are you ignoring the people around you, but you're ignoring your children. You're letting your children do whatever they want. But that's just my, again, back to my Disneyland experience. But it's, it's an intentional, it's okay, yeah, I, see, here's the thing. I, I'm teaching you, right? And on Wednesday night, I, I teach you. And then we have some Sunday school teachers that teach your kids. But in order for you to actually do church right, you have to get into your mind that you actually come with the expectation to teach and give yourself. I know it's hard to do in this type of setting, but as you continue to do church, you need to be thinking that way. How can I teach and lead, lead sideways, encourage those around me? It has to be intentional. 
You have to consider others. Okay, now the next word that I want to look at in verse 24 is spur. Spur. The, 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 okay, you know what a spur is, right? How many people are familiar with horses? You know? Um, oh, I forgot to mention something very important. Okay, sidetrack side here. Um, did you know that yesterday was my parents, our pastor's 45th wedding anniversary? Yeah. That's pretty cool. So it's their 45th wedding anniversary, and also this year it is pastor's 45th year as an ordained pastor. So he's got two celebrations. And I also heard through a little bird that it's the Hickson's 50th wedding anniversary. Well, there they are. Hickson's 50th anniversary. So congratulations. So it could be done. There's hope for your marriage, right? All right. You can, you can make it to the 45 and 50. Um, where was I? Spur. All right. So, to spur, so the reason why I got this, to this point is that, you know, I, I, when I was growing up, I had a horse. I had a pony, and then my parents bought me a, a, a racehorse. They wouldn't buy me a motorcycle, but they didn't have a problem buying me a racehorse. And so, one day, I thought it would be a great idea to put some spurs on the racehorse. Man, that didn't go over well. It just didn't go over well at all. But, so, but do you understand the concept of a spur? It, in the Greek, it's, it's actually uh, to aggravate. Did you know that as the body of Christ that we are given permission to aggravate each other, to, uh, to rub each other the wrong way, to actually hurt, to poke? <laughs> when I was in high school, uh, in the football team, we had, to, we had to pass biology. Biology was just, oh, it was so bad. The teacher was horrible, and it was painful, and it was extremely boring, and so we were all just dying, but we all know that we had to get a C in this class or we were going to get kicked off the team. And so Dwayne, Dwayne was the one that we picked on all the time. And he, he's like, well, you guys got to keep me awake, man. I, I can't handle this, but i got to pass this class or they're going to kick me off the team, so just make sure I don't fall asleep. I think I've mentioned Chad before, right? Okay, well, Chad was, said, okay, I'll keep you awake. So sure enough, Dwayne falls asleep. Chad brought a cattle prod and electrocuted Dwayne while he was sleeping. <laughs> and he jumped up, screamed, and, and then he gets kicked out of the class and sent to the principal's office. It was the funniest thing. You just have to know Dwayne. But, you know, the problem is, is that we need to be prodded sometimes. And you need to, to be spurred sometimes. And you're probably thinking to yourself, yeah, I know a lot of churches that that's all they do. All they do is prod and spur. And yeah, and there's a balance, and we're going to look at the balance on it for a second. But as a believer, you have to be willing to surrender your own will to sacrifice certain rights that you hold dear and allow your brothers and sisters to spur you. But here's the thing about sin. Uh, the sin that kills, steals, and destroys, the, the, the sins that will wreck your life, that will derail your relationships, that will shipwreck everything that you love, those ones you don't see. They're, they're the hidden things that we, that we don't see. Pastor has this incredible, 
deep, insightful saying, and it's profound. And it is, sin makes you stupid. So the ones that are going to kill you are the ones that you don't see. But you know who does see them? The ones that are closest to you, your brothers and sisters. And in order for you to grow spiritually, you have to allow people in your life you have to allow them in and you have to let them hurt you if need be. And it's not fun. And it's, just, it's something that we don't do. It's something that our culture doesn't embrace. But if you really want to grow, you have to say, okay, I don't care what it, what it takes. If I do this, you're allowed to, to get in my face and you're allowed to, to hurt me. It's not fun. You know, I can't be specific, but my wife is a perfect example of this. We hold each other accountable. If I'm behaving badly, she will tell me. If I'm throwing a pity party, she'll tell me. If I'm acting, you know, nasty, she'll tell me, and she will make sure that, that, that I know about it. And, and, and vice versa. She says, Josh, if I ever do this, if I ever act in this way, I give you the right to, uh, I won't tell you what she said, but I will give you the right to straighten me out. Can you do that? Can you do that with people in here? Can you allow people to hurt you? And can, are you, do you, are you giving that permission to do that to other people? It's not fun. Because in our culture, it says, um, I choose what's right for me. Uh, I decide what is right and wrong and how, you know, what, my, what my goals are. I'm an enlightened individual. I choose what's right and wrong. I'll give you an example. The Bible says that you can't have sex outside of marriage. But you want to have sex outside of marriage. You want to have lots of sex outside of marriage. Is there somebody in your life that says, you can't do that. I know you're doing it and you need to stop. Is there somebody in your life that does that? Bible also says that you, that you shouldn't keep all your money, that you shouldn't hoard your money, that you, you, need to, you need to quit spending money on yourself and you need to give it away. This is a fun one. You try this with somebody. Is you have a friend that's, that's, that's addicted to consumerism and all they do is spend money on themselves, why don't you tell them how they should spend their money and you let me know how that goes. That's, that, that kind of territory is hands-off, right? When was the last time you had a conversation about somebody's spending habits? <coughs> Bible is clear. You shouldn't spend your money on yourself. doesn't feel good, does it? Bible says that you shouldn't be self, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be angry. Do you address anger issues with the people that are around you? Do you say, look, you're, you're, you're cranky right now. That's what my wife does to me, just so you know. <laughs> you're cranky. Yeah. Can you do that? The Bible says that we shouldn't be wrathful, angry people. Do, do you allow people to spur you? All right, here's the, here's the other side of the, the coin. So yeah, there are churches that spend most of their time spurring their congregation and telling them what they can't do and what they can't do, and this is the way that it is, and if you don't follow the way that it is, you're out. Well, he continues to say, and encourage one another. And the Greek word for this word, on encourage, is to actually come alongside and to experience. This word means to empathize. It's the complete opposite of spur. Sometimes 
you need to know the difference or you need to have discernment on when to spur and when to encourage. Empathize means that you feel what the other person is going through. You know their pain or you empathize with their pain. You are sitting in their place trying to understand how they feel, what they're going through, and how you can help them get through it, what next step they should take. So not only do you have to have the courage to spur somebody, but you also have to have the courage to sit in their seat, to see the world through their eyes, to empathize with them. Some churches, that's all they do. Where there is no correction, there is no direction. Where all they say is, oh, I just, you know, I, I feel your pain and, you know, I understand you have this temptation. I had that temptation too. You just do whatever you want to do. But you see that there's a balance. We have to have both. You have to, if you can't approach your brother and sister with either the ability to spur or to encourage, then you just probably should back off. If all you want to do is destroy them, then back off. If all you want to do is to affirm their behavior, like, yeah, I had that behavior too, and now I'm living vicariously through you, oh, you need to back off. But you need to, you need to understand that, that as a body of Christ, we, we're connected in those ways. Do you see the difference now? When you come to church, it requires a lot, doesn't it? It's hard to do when you're sitting in here, but it happens when you get out into the real, you know, when you, when you leave this building, it actually is when church takes place. All right, where are we? So you have to encourage, you have to spur, you have to consider, and you have to be confident. This scripture that we read we usually tie it to the assurance of faith. Whenever people say, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm going to heaven? How, do I, how am I sure that, that I'm going to make it? And this is the assurance faith. It is the desire to, to know for sure, but it's linked in, in specifically on, on where you see yourself or your motivations on plugging in. We all desire to be a part of something, right? One of the biggest problems that we have in our lives is that we desperately desire to get inside of a certain social group or a certain social status. And this is a killer because we desperately desire to, be, to hang out with those people and we envy what they have. And anybody that is outside of what they have, we resent and, and we look down upon. So we want to we want to plug into that circle, and we're trying desperately hard. And and when we approach that circle, or maybe say even that job, you know, we're not confident about what we say. We think about everything we say before we say it. So again, you go into a job interview, and you are thinking about everything that you say. You're not confident. You got to make sure that you that your words are right, so you make a good impression, right? In the kingdom of God, we shouldn't have that insecurity when we talk to God and even when we talk to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. There ought to be a confidence. We, ought to, we shouldn't be worrying about the words that come out of our mouth. My, my daughter, again, she's six years old, and she doesn't filter what she says. She runs into the room, and she tells me exactly what she wants. So she has a confidence 
And if we don't have that confidence when we approach the Lord, if there's an insecurity, then you've lost sight of Jesus. You've lost sight of the blood that was sprinkled on you. You've lost sight that he is the high priest, the mediator between, some, between God and us. Basically, you're not a friend of God. You're not a child of God. And when we are a child of God, we, we, we have that confidence, we have that childlike faith that can run into his presence and be comfortable. We desperately need to get that confidence back. We need to quit working so hard. And then the last part is working the good deeds. This is active, compassionate service. And how do I know we have a good church? How do I know that we have a loving community? It's because I had a hard week this week. I experienced hopelessness this week on a couple of different levels. I, I had that on me. I had that weight on me. It was miserable. And I had to choose hope. But you want to know what else got me into the presence of God? It was my church family. Because I got phone calls. I got texts. I got food delivered to my house. So there was this active compassion. There was this active love. And that's what our church does. And if you're, I mean, I know that, I don't know, I'm the, you know, one of the pastors here, so I'm going to get some attention, but that's there for everyone. That's attainable for everybody in this room. This is what we're striving for. This is what we're working towards. You see, we can, we can, we can roll into church we, we, pour, we pour in on this hour. And the illustration that I'm going to use is that it's like we're marbles. We all pour in, and we're all marbles. And uh, you know, we're rolling in, and then we roll out. And on Sunday morning, we, you know, we kind of we just filter into this jar or this big black box, and then we all roll out during the week. Well, see, that's, that wasn't my experience this week because... I'm connected to the vine because I'm, I'm not a marble. I'm a grape. And, and I'm like a cluster of grapes. And it's organic. And there's every, every need in my life, I'm connected to somebody. And that's where my hope is. So all the bloggers, all the authors, all the naysayers about church life, well, they're just wrong. They're functioning from a modern worldview that says, I'm going to choose spirituality my way. I'm going to decide what's right and what's wrong, and I'm going to say that church is not good, and you can't have both. You get to choose your individual um, enlightened attitude, or you have to choose a loving family. Those are your choices, and you can't have both. You can't have both. So I, cho I choose to be connected to a vine. Here's the difference between a marble and a grape. Marbles are hard and grapes are soft. And what's the condition of your heart? Is your heart hard? Are you not going to allow people to come in? 
Are you not going to give them that place into your life to say, you know, you're, you're blowing it? Or let me encourage you. Or let me consider how we can get you to be, look more like Jesus. Or you're just like, no, I'm going to be this hard heart and I'm just going to roll in and roll out and I'm not going to take a risk and I'm not going to expose myself to other people or to God. And the hope that we have the hope for all of your problems in life is to connect to God, to be in God's presence. He will highlight everything that's wrong, and the Holy Spirit will show you how to fix everything. I believe that with all my heart. But we need the body of Christ to get us there. You can't do it on your own. A great example of this this week was on Wednesday night. I'm sure a majority of us have a quiet time or, you know, a daily devotional time or at least we pray at lunch every day. So we all have our own individual time that we spend with God. And that is vital, it's crucial, but you can't get spiritually mature just by being by yourself and your alone time with God. Wednesday night, Judy... And women's ministries, they led the night, and it was, a, it was a meditation on Scripture, meditation and prayer and praying the Scripture, and it was done in a church family setting, and it was powerful, and it got me into the presence of God, and it healed me, and it grew me, and it was exactly what I needed. And that's how the church ought to be. That's how the church ought to work. So we have to engage the presence of God together as a congregation and not as a group that shows up for a concert or, or a, a social setting. When you show up, when you engage church, you have to be willing to have not only a teachable spirit, meaning that you have to be willing to be taught, but you also have to be willing to teach and lead sideways as well. And you might be thinking, so I don't have anything to offer. I guarantee you do. I guarantee you have a lot to offer. We've got to have the band and the ushers come to the front. And if you, were, if you paid attention, if you could see it, um, all in that was, was 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Faith, hope, and love. The unwavering hope. You know what? Maybe you don't have a whole lot of faith in your life. What does 1 Corinthians 13, 13 say? Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is what? Is love, right? Well, let's say, I don't have any love. I don't like people right now. I don't want to be charitable. I don't have a whole lot of faith. I'm down on the dumps. The Bible says that hope is the thing that, that, that love and faith spring from hope. You don't have to be hopeless. Hope will engage it. Finish this sentence for me. The wages of sin is what? Death, right? That's the ultimate goal. You know what sin really does before you die, before it has its final end? What sin really does is it isolates you. The wages of sin is actually aloneness. If you're lying, you're going to isolate yourself from people. If you're cruel, people are going to back off and leave you alone. 
If you're selfish, if you manipulate people, they're going to wise up and they're going to walk away. The wages of sin is actually loneliness. And if you die in your sin, you're not going to be partying with your sinner friends in hell. You will experience loneliness. And it will be what you want, actually. If you died in your sin and you saw heaven, you wouldn't want to go there. Let's pray. Father, right now we thank you that, uh, that we can give back to you. And God, I want to pray for everyone today that is experiencing hopelessness in their finances. I pray that you will break through on a miraculous level, that you somehow will get them into the presence of God where they don't have to focus on their problem, they can focus on Jesus. And they, they can see that there's a solution, that there's hope, that there's a way out, and you're the answer. God, I pray that you will give them the courage to, to have the abilities, the strength to connect with other people. to allow people to minister to them, to have the strength to minister to other people that are in need, that are in hurting. I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know when to spur and know when to encourage and know when to take notes and to consider, know when to act, know when to step out and love, know when to express charity. I pray that you would give us the abilities to do that. God, we know that the church's goal is to make little Christ. So God, I pray that you will show me how to make other people around me like Jesus. And I pray that you will show the people that are around me, you'll give them the insight for them to show other people how to make people like Jesus. We so want to seek your face, God. We know the answer is in your presence. Pray that you get us there. Bless this offering in your name.